You're listening to a Soul Fire Productions podcast. Holy shit. Brooke Gahan, queen of the heel hive and bee venom therapy is on the show. We have been wanting to do this for so long, so I am so grateful to finally have this conversation on The Kelly Show. Rook, oh, where do I even begin? This woman is so important to the chronic illness community. When you think about who you want advocating for you and who you want on your side and on your team, she's definitely number one on the list, especially if you're dealing with something like Lyme disease. So I have never done bee venom therapy. Luckily, near the time I found out about it, I was already on the other side of my chronic illness journey. And so I haven't dealt with symptoms in years now. But for me, it's incredibly important to have this conversation with Brooke because I know there are so many of you who are struggling, who have tried everything and nothing works and you feel hopeless and you feel depressed and you feel alone. And I truly believe that Brooke is changing the world with her work. And if you are at all curious about what bee venom therapy can do for you, this episode is very much for you. And anyone you know who is at their wits end and doesn't know where to go or is looking for an alternative path to taking drugs and antibiotics that likely will not do anything except for destroy your gut. So Brooke was just a part of the Unwell documentary on Netflix. So you can see her there. Can't remember if it's episode five or six. Definitely go watch that. Um, in this episode, we talk a lot about what she covers there. We get into sexual transmission of Lyme, the media portrayal of alternative medicine. How about this? Lyme, according to the CDC, is the second highest current pandemic with 1.9 million people dealing with it. There is such an effect on your brain from Lyme bacteria. So you're looking at brain issues. And we talked about, okay, so what would it take for the FDA to test BVT on humans? $54 million, which is why this is still almost like this underground treatment, right? Because to get things tested in the quote unquote proper channels, it takes a shit ton of money. Um, we talk about what to do when you get bitten by a tick, the role of antibiotics at initial onset, but most people don't know they have Lyme disease until months or years later. So antibiotics don't do anything. And she goes through the process of BVT therapy from day one. And this was a really important part of the conversation. We talk about resenting your body and feeling disconnected. Of course, of course that's going to happen. So I love this woman. I just love, love, love her. If you are curious or want to learn more just about chronic illness and healing in general and want the non-bullshit approach, Brooke is your girl. She is at Everyday Expert on Instagram as well as The Heal Hive. You can go to one of her retreats, learn from her personally. 
if you have any, any, any interest or curiosity about this, I highly recommend you reaching out to her. Before we get into this beautiful conversation, just want to tell you guys about Organifi. They are having a really special deal from October 15th to October 29th. So I have been talking about my love for the golds for all the days now. You guys have heard it ad nauseum. Most of you have been purchasing Organifi because you're like, okay, if she's actually talking about this and this is legit, I need to try it. And then you're like, yes, it is legit. I love it. Um, <laughs> so the cool thing is this deal is for the golden trio. So you're going to get the regular gold, the pumpkin spice, which is a limited edition and the chocolate gold. I mix all of them at some point and put that coconut butter in there, that hot water. It's frothy. It's so good. But the beautiful thing about this offering is that if you buy all three, you're getting a free frother. These frothers are incredible. Um, they're brand new and they are branded out for Organifi and people are loving them. They did this deal earlier in the month and it lasted for like six hours and they ran out of shit. So they brought it back so that you could get this incredible discount again and offering. So you can use the code Kelly T if you go to Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. Get all your superfoods that help with deep sleep and recovery. And if you want to get off coffee, I'm telling you, get the chocolate in your body and you won't even need coffee. You will feel so much better and your adrenals and your cortisol levels will thank you. All right, let's get to this conversation with Brooke. I was telling my girlfriend we were walking in the park the other day. We were having the most epic conversation. And I told her, I'm like, this is why I fucking hate talking to anyone cool when I'm not recording because I always regret it afterwards. I'm like, everyone would die to hear this conversation. <laughs> right? I, I can imagine from your perspective, everything yeah. is a potential podcast. I know. I just feel like I'm, I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm always in teaching mode. And so many of my friends are like you. We're all just trying to hold space and educate and do. And so you're always talking about something important. I totally get. I think so. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Me too. You, long time coming. I know. You are so special. I can't believe that we are not in real life friends yet. Um, well, we will be because I need to spend more time in Colorado. Oh my it's gosh. such a favorite place of mine. Please come. You are blowing the fuck up and I'm so proud of you. I would just like to start oh, there you. because <laughs> you are pushing some serious boundaries and getting people real uncomfortable. And I love that so much about you. So be Venom Therapy. When I first yes. found you, I thought you were a wackadoodle. And I was like, <laughs> this lady is stinging herself with bees. What the fuck's going on? Which is, I'm sure is a lot of people's first responses. But then I'm like, okay, I'm in alternative medicine. I've done a lot of things that people think are crazy and, you know, plant medicine and Ayurveda and stuff that is just not Western medicine. And now you have this documentary out and you are being featured across the board. How did you even begin to understand or discover bee venom therapy? Well, it's interesting you say wackadoodle because that was my first response <laughs> to it myself. Um, I had gotten really sick with chronic Lyme disease. Uh, I literally tried every Western modality. I tried combinations of Western and Eastern, like ozone therapy with um, Chinese acupuncture, with herbal re remedies, with intravenous antibiotics, you know, oral antibiotics, et cetera. I really only got sicker and weaker and more issues started arising. Um, so basically I had 
went through about $150,000 of my savings, not including just living expenses. And I was down to my last few thousand dollars. Um, and I happened to be at a Lyme clinic in which one of the nurses there was studying apotherapy, which is a term for the practice of using all bee medicine, including propolis and beeswax and royal jelly and bee pollen, along with bee venom in itself and medicinal honey to have, you know, um, medicinal benefits for clients, patients. Um, so I met this apotherapist. She was a trained nurse and she was the one giving me IVs. And we started talking and she basically, through a nutshell, we met later at a restaurant and she admitted that her chronic Lyme disease that she had herself had been put into remission, if not fully cured by bee venom therapy. Um, I was open to it because at this point, I basically had you know, gone through all my savings. I didn't have any money left and I just didn't have a safety net to lean back on of wealthy parents or a partner to tap into. So I was really desperate and I needed something that was cheap and effective and economical. And that was bee venom therapy. I had, however, tried it early on in my, um, in my journey with chronic Lyme disease when I first got super sick and I was given a bee sting by one of the quote leading apotherapists after about six hours of IV therapy in which I was on antiparasiticals, um, antimalarials and antibiotics. And it was too much for my system. And literally it was, you know, there was turkey feathers being waved and Palo Santo and it was also woo woo. And I basically went into a mild, mild form of anaphylaxis and I got so scared of it. And I thought, who, what is this wackadoodle doing stinging me with bees? Um, it wasn't until two years later that I said, wait a second, I'd seen some of the research come out. I then found a nurse that, you know, was basically proclaiming that it helped her and she was willing to teach me. And so this time I knew more. I knew not to, you know, layer the modalities on top of each other, like not to do oral antibiotics or IV antibiotics the same day I was doing bee stings because I, at that point I then had learned that bee venom was a very powerful antibacterial, another antiviral and a antiparasitical. And I just thought, why would I layer when obviously my body can't take it? So I kind of started afresh, um, only then relied on the Lyme clinic for IV support in terms of like nutrient therapy and started having her sting me and teach me. Within three weeks, I was basically, before I started, I was reliant on a wheelchair to get around. I could still walk on my own, but if you were like, if I had to go to the grocery store, I'd be in a wheelchair. If I had to go through an airport, I'd use a wheelchair. Within three weeks, I was hiking again. Like wow. not a long hike, but like a mile hike. Um, within a month, um, I started feeling like my brain was turning back on. Um, you know, I, in certain periods of my chronic Lyme, I lost the ability to speak. Um, I lost the ability to read. I lost the ability to walk on my own. So for me to be able to regain this functionality was everything. And within three months, I was starting to feel that I was not only completely healing in a way that I hadn't healed for two years prior, but I was really going to not get, regain, well, not gain remission, which everyone talks about with Lyme disease. They don't talk about a cure. They talk about remission. I felt finally I was going to fully eradicate this and be free of this. And lo and behold, two years later, I was. Um, and so it worked for me. And um, it you know, the, the research coming out about bee venom is just truly extraordinary from how it eradicates, you know, uh, breast cancer to how it works against HIV. Um, 
you know, it's just, it's a matter of putting dollars into the research. But until then, us that use it and those that want to share their anecdotal evidence are really leading the charge and creating a trend. You're incredible. That is amazing. I, you know, as you were talking... I just feel really lucky. Yeah. As I was listening to you, you know, what kind of woman goes to those lengths to heal? I feel like that's the question. And the answer is when you are that sick, you are pushed that far, you are willing to do anything it takes. And you do more research than anyone I know. You are the guinea pig, right? You did it yourself. You proved that it works. You listened to other people that proved it works. And you were willing to do whatever it took. And I think that for people who think this is so extreme, they probably have never been so sick that they've been in a wheelchair or bedridden or wanted to die on a daily basis. Because when you are in that state, there is nothing else. Like, what are you living for? You don't have a life. Well, you either die or you live. And it's really that simple. Um, You know, I feel lucky that I got angry. And I think that in placed in the right way, anger can serve you. Um, when you're sick or when things are not working medically. Um, and that as women, we're trained not to be angry. We're trained not to empower our voice and not to question authority. And I'm really, really glad that um, I went to, I had an education and I had parents that trained me that even though I was born a woman, that I had a loud fucking voice and I was going to use it. <laughs> and I never stopped being angry until I got better. And you know what? Because I work with so many people that are sick, I'm angry on a daily exactly. basis. I use that ang- anger to further channel, you know, how I can help people. Because the system's broken, the medical system's broken, how we train doctors is broken, how we talk about health and wellness is broken. It's all so fucking broken, and the only way you can get through it is by advocating for yourself and, you know, turning, you know, your discontents into something positive. I want to get into the medical system because you have the documentary Unwell Out on Netflix that you're in. And it's so interesting because there's so many different modalities that they look into. And, you know, how does this work? And is this fake? And is this, you know, bullshit wellness and whatever you want to call it, right? Um, And so, of course, there's going to be pushback from Western medicine because they're like, there's no way this works. This isn't real. There are crazy people stinging themselves. And that's it. That's as far as it goes. There's no question of like, well, maybe we should we should look into this or, oh, well, this is healing people all the time. Maybe we should put some money into it. So what has the what have you seen in the Western medical community that has failed when it comes specifically to Lyme disease? And how are you eradicating that with bee venom? Well, first of all, let me answer that to how media portrays Lyme disease and um what happened with the editing process. So they have a doctor on who is very, very much in the, you know, is handhold held by big pharmaceuticals. Um, they mentioned underneath his name that he's a Yale trained doctor. They also have a doctor we've worked with at the Heal Hive because we always work with a doctor and we're, we have all these amazing doctor partnerships. Um, and they don't mention that he has a double degree from MIT and Harvard. They just said general practitioner. And that is the editing, first of all, by the media of trying to show a bias against holistic medicine, first of all. Just that example alone says it all or should say it all, right? Mm -hmm. So go back, watch Unwell episode six and look for that and realize that, you know, the doctor that works with us, they didn't mention Harvard, MIT, you know, educated. The other doctor, they mentioned Yale. And that is a big issue. But going into, you know, 
your question about Lyme disease, I think that really it's a, it's a, it's a question of why we're, you know, COVID is our biggest pandemic right now, but second underneath that is Lyme disease and is affecting so many people. The CDC and John Hopkins together data based off of their, um, statistics show that 1.9 million people by 2020 alone are dealing with chronic late stage Lyme disease. They know that there is basically a failure rate of at least 30% with anyone that gets Lyme disease and gets treated. It doesn't matter if you found it late stage or early stage, there's a 30% failure rate. So the 1.9 million people that are suffering today don't necessarily know they're suffering because diagnostic testing is on par with COVID. It is abysmal. No money has gone to it. And doctors are not taught how to actually adequately test. On top of that, more sensitive tests that find Lyme bacteria and other tick-borne diseases are usually out of pocket and cost people upwards of $1,500 or more, which most people are living, you know, paycheck to paycheck. They cannot afford that. So we're living in a crisis, you know, very much like COVID in which people are walking around sick and they have no idea that they're sick. Meanwhile, unlike COVID, you know, we have these issues. COVID can, is more or less, even though there's some late stage issues with it that we're starting to see, more or less an acute diagnosis, is an acute sickness. With Lyme disease, it is a very, very insidious disease in which you might have gotten, you know, felt a little bit sick after a bite, not even realize you were bitten. The ticks can be as small as a poppy seed. Then all of a sudden, three months later, you start to have issues you know, from cystic fibroids to, um, you know, thyroid issues to migraines, headaches, you know, things that doctors dismiss as stress. Um, and the problem is women are much more affected by it because we have estrogen and estrogen feeds our histamine response. And so much of Lyme disease, the symptoms of it are, um, you know, exacerbated by excess estrogen or excess histamine, which, you know, which is why so many more women seem to be affected by Lyme disease than men. But as we can see from, you know, um, baseball player that just died, I'm forgetting his name, the Mets baseball player that just died um, two weeks ago from what they called Alzheimer's in the media, but they actually had to backtrack and say, no, it was Lyme disease. Shut up. To Robin, yes, to Robin Williams. Um, you know, we're seeing that men are affected by it not symptomatically so drastically day to day, but that they end up because they don't have the outward symptoms like women do because of the, because they don't have any estrogen. Um, they get affected by it because by the time that they really find it, it's really infected their brains and, um, a crazy statistics out there that when they excise nearly 500 brains of people with Alzheimer's, they found in nearly 90 over 90% of them, um, Lyme bacteria plaques surrounding the amyloid um, Alzheimer plaques. So basically they correlate that potentially Lyme Borrelia is the actual cause of Alzheimer's. And Lyme Borrelia has been around for, which is, you know, this, this spirochete, the bacteria of Lyme disease has been around, you know, since, since literally the beginning of time. We find mummies with Lyme. It's just in the modern era, the Lyme has really become stronger. More people are getting sickened by it. And our immune defenses are down. So it's able to take more hold of our system than ever before. So it is a chronic disease. Um, so many people don't even realize that they have it. The diagnostic, um, you know, education for doctors is abysmal and we're just not putting enough money into, you know, the funding of it. On top of that, you know, in terms of big business, Lyme disease, at least the pharmaceutical companies know is going to be big business. And you know what? They're not going to be, no one's going to be focusing on, on, 
better diagnostics for Lyme until they have a cure that they can sell you, period. That's just how the medical system works. So do they want a cure though, or do they want to just create pharmaceuticals that you think are going to help you? You know, I, I like to, I like to blame big farm, but I don't like to create conspiracy. Uh So I think that, and I know some people that work in big farm that I, so I have a really interesting kind of insider look into a lot of big pharmaceutical. And I find that it's not always so dastardly. I just think that it's much more just, you know, human, human laziness and greed. And just, you know, the fact that we allow lobbyists to take over all of our politics. Um, and you know, the people are not in control. So, um, you know, I think that big farm, there's a lot of blame to be laid there. And I, I I have made public correlations between the fact that a, you know, what it would cost basically about $54 million to do a human study of how bee venom therapy works against Lyme disease specifically in humans. Um, that would be FDA cleared. Um, who's going to pay for that? usually big farm, but since big farm cannot patent a full live bee, they're not going to be doing that. They're going to be looking into how they can extract certain elements within whole bee venom to be able to then patent. And that is just not going to be this, you know, a similar study as using a whole live bee venom um, in terms of how it works um, in humans. And it really does make a difference in terms of how it works whether you're using a whole live bee or just different aspects in the bee venom. So without diving too deep into that at this moment, um, you know, to answer your question, I think it's a matter of diagnostic problems, problems with the system, problems with big farm and problems with people just not understanding what Lyme disease is and how to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always say, you know, protect yourself before you re- you wreck yourself. And most people don't even know proper, you know, Lyme removal, um, you know, Lyme, I mean, not Lyme disease, but tick removal. So anyone listening here, if you get bit by a tick, do not throw it away. Your initial reaction is to scream, shriek, pull it off and throw it into the toilet or throw it into waste bin. Please do not. Please send it away. Make sure it gets checked because it's not just Lyme disease. It can carry over 10 other really dangerous co-infections that can cause just as much issues as Lyme disease. So send it in tickcheck.com tickreport.com are great resources okay and a psa about that (laughs) no i love it i also didn't know you could like mail a tick somewhere so there you go now you know oh my god especially because you're in colorado and you're hiking with your pups all the time it's so important you know otherwise you're put you're being put on antibiotics every season Mm -hmm. or twice a season or three times a season so it prevents that and you really know what you're dealing with but yeah so i think it's a matter of we don't have the dollars put into studying these alternative forms. But I will end with this on that rant is that, you know, other countries, Egypt, Australia, Germany, Switzerland are doing incredible studies looking at bee venom and looking at its medicinal aspects because they don't have the same um, kind of big farm lobbyist uh, scenario that we have in the US. So they have governments that are willing to put money and dollars behind looking at, you know, potentials for healing through natural forms. I mean, it's the same shit with non-toxic products. I am so tired of all this crap in the United States when you go to other countries and they're clean as hell and they're so progressive and they're willing to put money into testing and trying things out. And I'm just like, how are we missing this? It just drives me crazy. Well, that's why advocacy is so important. That's why every single person listening to your pod, every single person following you, Every single person following lots of, you know, you know, 
science-based wellness influencers and those that are, you know, advocating for the right things is that, you know, it's up to us. You know, we, we, we make change with our dollars. It's where we spend our money. So we start investing in clean beauty, non-toxic cleaning into holistic forms of, you know, alternative medicine that works and people are going to pay attention, but until then they don't. So I want to backtrack a little bit. I want to talk antibiotics because when you mm-hmm. get Lyme disease, that seems to be the go-to. Everyone's put on antibiotics. Um, I would love for you to explain more about that process, why it's sure. not highly effective, and the impacts it makes on your gut health and the ramifications of that. Okay. So in a nutshell, um, if you have an acute infection, which basically means in the first you know week or two of getting bit, that your immune system is still strong enough that when you get put on antibiotics, let's say you found a tick attached or had a bullseye or the tick came back from tick report or tickcheck.com as having an infection that you are put on antibiotics, usually doxycycline for a minimum of 30 days and you clear the infection. Most people will not have, you know, residual effects from that besides just the antibiotic usage. Um, And compared to late stage Lyme disease, I'd rather have you know, 30 days of doxycycline, then late stage Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. However, the problem comes is that most people do not know that they've been bitten in the first month, right? Um, So what happens is that you usually only know when you have these later stage called stage two symptoms. So fatigue, malaise, thyroid issues, weird hives, you know, insomnia, anxiety. And so what happens is that you can then get put on doxycycline. What scientists have been able to show is that these Lyme bacteria are really smart. By that time, they've built up enough defenses so that when you take the antibiotics in, what happens is that Lyme bacteria, which are a spiral, a spiral-shaped bacteria called the spirochate, they turn into a D-ring form. That D-ring form is basically a form that the antibiotics cannot you know, penetrate. And they also build these biofilms. So these biofilms are these kind of microbial films that cover the actual spirochete bacteria and keep the antibiotics from penetrating. On top of that, they signal to the other bacteria to create more and to go into a form that spirals into bone, into brain, into spinal fluid, in which it can stay in dormancy for years. So you might look that you have cleared the infection after one round of antibiotics. And then a year later, you're like, why is my thyroid off? Why am I starting to have all these autoimmune issues? Why am I just feeling like I have chronic fatigue? Why am I having all these, you know, gut issues I never had before? What's really happening is either the Lyme is still there in an active form, or your immune system is aware that you have not cleared this infection. And it's now put you into this constant state of systemic inflammation in which many women have a higher proclivity of going into gaining autoimmunity issues along with just adding autoimmune diseases onto that the longer it goes on. So basically long-term antibiotics, sorry, antibiotic therapy for late stage Lyme disease, which is usually if you don't find it really, really, really quickly, is usually just completely useless. And what it does is it makes the Lyme disease stronger. Why do doctors not give an alternative? Because there isn't one, except for B venom therapy. And tell me which Western doctor that is five minutes to look through a patient's, you know, comprehensive overview of their health is going to try and convince a patient to properly and effectively and safely sting themselves with bees, which takes, you know, for people that I teach hours upon hours of coursework, they're not going to. So their alternative is what? Giving their patients antibiotics, which rip up their gut, which ruin and depress their immune system even further that are not going to work. And, you know, antibiotics are great if they work 
and they actually have efficacy. But when they don't and you're further sending your microbiome, it's a recipe for disaster. And this is why we see people with late stage Lyme disease catch it, find it, think that they're going to be out of the woods and they just get worse and worse and worse. And it's a domino effect for months to years. Now I'm pissed off. I'm with you. <laughs> God damn it. Let's get ready. Oh, hours. girl. Okay. <laughs> we need a punching bag. After. I know. Seriously. So explain to me, someone comes to you and mm-hmm. they have Lyme disease and they're in, you know, chronic illness, feeling awful, probably brain fog, body pain, exhaustion, and all of these different Lyme issues. What do you do with them? Um, first of all, we have a partnership with a leading Lyme MD, um, and we send them directly to the Lyme MD who does comprehensive heel hive lab work. Um, the lab work that I look for, um, that I ask for is, um, really comprehensive in terms of making sure they're not dealing with massive nutritional deficiencies, making sure that they don't have blood clotting issues, making sure that there's, it's safe for them to sting, ensuring that, um, that if they do have autoimmune issues like thyroid issues or potential anemia issues um, or anything, diabetes, um, that we address that before they start stinging, along with mold toxicity. So people can be living in high mold environments. When you have pathogens in your body, your immune system suppressed. So you're much more likely to have as, um, basically an inflammatory response to mold pathogens in, in you know, mold toxicity in your body. So they will have higher levels of estrogen, higher levels of histamine, and basically higher levels of transgrowth beta factor. And that's showing us that they need to really get out of high mold. They need to really bring down their histamine levels before they start stinging. Because if they start stinging while living in high mold, it's just going to be too much for the liver to handle. It's too much for the body to handle because you have the die off of the bacteria with, you know, living in high mold. And that's where a lot of people go wrong with bee venom therapy and drop out. There's a lot of bee venom therapy dropouts. I always say bee venom works 100% of the time. It's how you do it and the steps you take. So our first step is always testing. And then after people are clear to begin stinging, which for some cases, it takes six months to 12 months because they're still living in high mold. They're in situations that they can't get the testing necessarily, not because through our error, but because, you know, something happened, their mom's dying or, you know, they moved states or their insurance isn't working. So, you know, there's, there's a process, but I always believe that you know, 100% of the people can get 100% better, but you just have to do it step by step. And it's a comprehensive testing that is essential. And we are finding that the more we comprehensively test people, the more they're finding celiac, pernicious anemia, um, diabetes, um, you know, super, super high cholesterol levels, uh, deep vein thrombosis, all these things that can become, you know, thyroid issues, massive issues moving forward that doctors either didn't test for or ignored. And, um, so just in and of itself, by doing the testing, we're preparing them for success, um, way far into the future. And this is testing that we repeat over and over, over the course of the two year protocol. So it's a two year protocol. And you mentioned that they're doing a ton of coursework and learning from you. Um, is that the specific program of videos and kind of homework situation? Yeah. I mean, we, we call it a boot camp because it really is a boot camp. Um, you know, there's so much white noise in terms of wellness out there. Do you drink lemon water? Do you drink electrolytes? Do you take shilajit? Do you, um, do you eat wheatgrass? Do I, you not eat wheatgrass? You know, all of that. We take all that white noise away. We bring in practitioners to really walk everyone through lifestyle changes, nu- nutrient, you know, um, 
nutrition and making sure you have the right nutrients um, and working on the microbiome and supporting the gut. And, you know, so many people make these, you know, just really common mistakes where they think they're gluten-free, but yet they're taking supplements that have, you know, gluten in them. They didn't even realize because, you know, it was manufactured with vitamin E that is gluten derived, right? So there's just all of, we basically take all of the kind of the guesswork out of each stuff you have to take in order to heal. And as anyone who's listening here knows who's gotten through a chronic illness or any type of health issue, that medicine is great. And B medicine is exactly that. It's medicine. But unless you actually change stress responses, lifestyle factors, you know, environmental assaults, um, and you know, really, really work on your diet and making sure that you prep yourself for success, nothing changes. It just doesn't, you know, like you could have the best medicine and live in toxic mold with a toxic partnership and you're not going to achieve that hundred percent, you know, thriving rate that we want. I want to get into the, uh, mindset slash spiritual woo woo side of this Mm -hmm. because I love what you just said. It's this holistic, all-encompassing approach. You can't just change one thing and expect overnight you're all of a sudden going to be better mm -hmm. when you're eating pizza and drinking beer, right? And I think so many people with chronic illness, I don't know what it is, but we go into self-sabotage and we're like, oh, I'll just have this one beer or this one slice and it'll be fine. And it's not. And you feel awful for weeks afterwards. I have been there. I have done it. I totally understand. And like you said, living in stressful, toxic environments, relationships, and we're like, this has nothing to do with me being sick. And I just want to shake them and be like, it has so much to do with you being <laughs> yeah. sick and not being able to heal. I know that you come from such a science background. I would love for your approach when it comes to the woo-woo and the spiritual and the mindset and how that plays in for you. I don't think having a healthy lifestyle and having non-toxic relationships is woo-woo. I think science has proven that stress raises cortisol, which raises our inflammatory response, which causes us to have lifelong issues if we don't get it under control. Um, we know that, you know, so many of, so much of the way that we build new housing structures has, you know, overuse of drywall, you know, cheap, really, really cheaply built housing that then encourages mold growth. I mean, there is a scientific reason for all of this. Um, at the Heal Hive, we don't employ crystals or Palo Santo or spiritual talk. But what we do talk about is all of this deeply researched scientific validity for having a proper stress response, for using yogic principles, for focusing on breath work and how you breathe and how you carry your body and, you know, focusing on how to support the liver and the kidneys and, you know, essentials. Our, one of our first courses with, I mean, one of our first modules is hydration. Mm -hmm. And people come to us who have literally been working on their health for three to four years. And just from our first module, their minds are blown. They're like, holy shit. I didn't even understand the foundational basics of hydration. So, you know, I think again, it goes down to really education is that we cannot expect people not to want to cheat with some gluten pizza, not to want to indulge themselves when they are sick, they're tired, and they're not getting properly taught and educated on, you know, what a healthy body is. And you know, how we were healthy a hundred years ago. And I always say to people, I'm not teaching you anything new. I'm just teaching you everything that your grandmother already knew. Mm, that's so good. Where, where do you stand on things like trauma and experience and experiences in life 
that um, are stored in the body that stick with us that then perpetuate or create chronic illness? Um, well, one of my best friends, uh, Dr. Jamison Webster, wrote a book called Conversion Disorder. Um, and she's a psychoanalyst. And she was the one when I was in my 20s that forced me literally because she's my best friend. And they could, you know, best friends can do this being like, you need psychoanalysis. So I went into deep three years of Lacanian on five days a week, sometimes on the couch, going working through all of it. And uh, I felt really lucky when I got sick that I'd gone through three years therapy, because that training allowed me to understand how to communicate with myself and how to be honest with myself. And I think so many people miss out with not getting really, really deep root cause talk therapy because we have traumas and they influence our life. I'm not going to lie. I still carry traumas from being chronically ill. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm going through an IVF process and daily I get, you know, re-traumatized by all of the lack of care and all the disasters I went through with Lyme disease. And I feel like I'm going through it with IVF. But, um, you know, you learn over time to not be, to not be ruled by what goes wrong, but to learn that by, by empowering yourself and by having great tools and support systems in place that when bad things happen and when things don't work out to what you expect, that you can get through it. Um, it doesn't mean that the trauma ever goes away. And in terms of PTSD and you know the traumas we hold within our bodies, um, I absolutely believe that. And I think leading scientists, psychological science, you know, researchers, you know, psychoanalysts all understand. I mean, Freud was the first one, you know, the fainting syndrome, women being so overwhelmed that they would just faint. Um, you know, we, we absolutely hold traumas and they come through in our bodies. Um, that is scientific, you know, uh, that, that's scientific fact. It's how we get through it. And everyone has different ways. Um, some seem more woo woo than others, but if you do not deal with the trauma, if you do not address it in the right way, um, it will eat you alive. And it doesn't matter if you physically, your blood serum levels look fine again, you're never going to get back to that place of really allowing yourself to thrive until you handle, you know, the traumas and we're, traumas are daily. It doesn't matter if you've gotten through past traumas, you're always going to deal with trauma. It's about having the right, you know, education, psychological education and support systems in place so that when you encounter bad times that you know exactly how to get help. And I feel for everyone who doesn't have that help um, at the heel hive, we actually employ two trauma therapists and we also have a psychoanalyst who teaches in our new course. Yes. So um, mental health therapy is a major thing for us. And it's also because I think sick people can encourage trauma in other sick people. So it's really about a, a matter for us of making sure that every, all the community support at the Heal Hive is really positive because as you know, these, you know, health threads, blogs, Facebook groups, you can go into the deep, dark well of just fear and trauma that other people are feeling. And it's really about, I always say, go to, towards the light, not in that way, not in the more mm-hmm. way, yeah. but like go towards what like serves you, what makes you feel lighter, what's positive because chronic illness is hard enough. And there is so much darkness out there. Mm, something Connor likes to say, <laughs> he's launching this new coaching program for people and he's explaining it is like, 
If you're the type of person who wants to shovel crystal up your ass and think that your life is going to be better, this is not the program for you. And I just thought of that (laughs) while you were talking, because I think that especially in wellness, which is just so fucked up now because it's just so easily monetized in so many ways and spirituality, Mm -hmm. the same thing. It's like we think we can, you know, shove a crystal up our butt or just meditate our way out of anything. And it's like this does not work like that. You are in choice. You must take action. And there are so many things to learn along the way. And I I just love how you make such difficult, um, scary topics and things to go through digestible and approachable. You're like, Aww, I'm not going to fix you. you. I'm going to help you heal yourself. I'm going to educate you. I'm going to hold the space for you. And you get to do this for yourself. And I think so many of the people you probably work with have not advocated for themselves before. They have not tried to heal themselves. They have given their power away. They have been disempowered. And you are creating such a beautiful space to change that script. And I love that. Well, thank you. I, you know, I think that Lyme disease is, you know, an issue, but really at issue is our entire broken system. So, you know, I could teach you, I I could give you a fish, right? But if I could teach you how to fish for yourself, then I'm, making sure that you stay healthy the rest of your life. And that education I give to you or that I provide for you, you are then providing by default to your entire community. And I just really, I have tingles right now. I really feel that the more we educate ourselves and empower ourselves, that the more change happens um, on a subconscious level even. So yeah, it means a lot to me. You know, what drives me is that I was such a victim of this disease. I was such a victim of a broken system. and you know, it nearly broke me and I became really suicidal. Um, I had massive suicidal ideation every day. I was disappointed when I woke up that I would have another day that I had to suffer through this. And so for me, I'm driven every single day to prevent more and more people from having, you know, to suffer needlessly because it's just not necessary to suffer. Mm, So, so good. I know you wanted to get into this because no one ever asked you about this. So what the fuck (laughs) should be me? Obviously let's talk about sex. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about sex, baby. That's right. Um, Okay. I want to start first because I don't know anything about this part. Can you, can you get Lyme like an STD through sexual transmission? Well, I'll tell you what we do now. I'll tell you that in Canada, they warn couples um, to use protection. If one of the couple, um, one of the partners um, has Lyme disease, we know other countries do the same. We know that Spirochete bacteria is very similar to syphilis. They're both spiral-shaped bacteria. And syphilis is an STD, whereas the spirochete of Lyme disease, Lyme Borrelia, is also a spiral that has been seen in the fluid, um, seminal fluid and vaginal fluid of both women and men. And um, if the bacteria is in the fluid, the same as syphilis is, why would we not actually imagine that it can be transmitted? Um, the sad part is there's just not enough studies. But what we do know is that so many people have entire families that are decimated by this disease. And many times, you know, a husband will be someone who is, you know, constantly out in nature, woodsman, you know, bike pe- you know, a backpacker, hiker, the mother isn't. And then somehow the mother gets Lyme disease, pass it on to her children and the whole family's sick and the father only knows later. So we see, you know, familial Lyme disease all the time. Now that can be part, partly to do with the fact that they're in the same endemic areas with really, really high rates of um, 
you know, tick-borne illness. But at the same time, other countries are willing to express uh, worries that it is a sexually transmitted disease. We've seen spirochetes within, you know, seminal fluid, you know, in terms of vaginal fluid. So it, it, it doesn't take a scientist to come to the, you know, to come to the conclusion that why you have, you know, acute Lyme disease, chronic Lyme disease, you should be using protection until you really get a handle on it. There's no doubt at all. Um, when my now husband, but boyfriend at the time, and I first got together, um, it was a really hard discussion we had to have about the fact that he should use a condom. And um, yeah, you know, it's not, it, it really sucks to be a woman and be have been sick, not dated for years, not had sex for years and be like, Hey man, I might give you a communicable disease that basically has destroyed my life. Do you want to have sex? Come do me, baby. (laughs) That's very sexy. Mm -hmm. Right. He was like, let me jump on top of you. Great. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I think it's, I think it really begs more research. Sadly, there's just no funding going into that. So, you know, I always say use common sense. So my experience when I was really sick is that I had no sex drive. My libido dropped completely. Uh, and this was mm-hmm. from 19 until, you know, 28, 29. Um, I was dry. My hormones were all over the place. I didn't have a steady period. I had been on birth control from 15 till about 27, I think. Um, and it was just all over the place. And I know that chronic illness and everything happening in my body was creating this. So what are the Lyme experiences? I never had Lyme, but what are the Lyme experiences when it comes to sex and, and issues there? Great question. Um, I think that many experience a massive loss of libido. Uh, you know, they have massive thyroid issues, um, adrenal issues, um, hormonal issues that play a part. Um, and many are just too sick. I mean, they're just isol- socially isolated to begin with or bedridden to have a sex drive. When I first got sick, I did not have that issue. I still had a, quite a crazy sex drive. My issue, which I've heard from other people um, with Lyme disease as well, is that I literally could not masturbate or have sex because of the fact that if I did, that just the effort of it and all of the kind of chemical um, explosions that happened afterwards would literally lay me out for like two days. So it sucked. I basically was then having to train my body not to have a sex drive because I I would only feel worse after. Um, And that is another commonality. So it basically you're screwed either way. You either basically have a raging sex drive, but you have sex and feel like shit for days after, or you have no sex drive you know, and you just feel more miserable because we're sexual creatures and we do not have a sex drive. We're missing something integral in, you know, I think our spiritual process, our soulful process, you know, our heart center, and it's a damn fucking shame. How did that lead you to being disconnected with your body? Because I imagine if you're not masturbating, you're not having sex. I mean, I've been there. You just, you're not even connected with the feminine, your womb. You're just kind of out of your body and resenting your body in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up. I was actually in the shower this morning thinking about, you know, what we're going to talk about today. And I was thinking about how, how important it is that we never talk about the fact that, you know, and something that we address at the heel hive is that, you know, you start to hate your body when you get sick, your body is not serving you. And it's so much easier to be disconnected, which I think leads to indulging in things you shouldn't indulge in, or, you know, 
physically, emotionally, just disconnecting from your, even your sexual experience because your body becomes your enemy instead of your friend. And so much of the work we do in regarding trauma and just working with our clients is having them love their body again. And we create like very prescriptive programs so that we take the guesswork out of how to love your body so that you're just on a program of breath work and self-love and journaling and therapy so that, you know, you don't have to kind of say, okay, Brooke, like this is the time, this is the hour you self-love. We allow you to just basically have that scheduled in a prescriptive way of like, no, we're here to remind you. Your body just needs the right tools. It hasn't been given the right tools. Your body wants to get better. And we just repeat over and over. Your body wants to get better. You don't have the tools yet. You're gaining those tools. And just that alone, I think, is really powerful for people to... I think when we are so scared of failure that we just... It's easier to live in denial. It's easier to like just dismiss our body and to disconnect from it. And I think that also creates disautonomy. D- d- dysautonomia, um, which is this um, feeling. That's a real word. Can, it is. Damn, and I, think, I don't know if I said it right, but <laughs> dysautonomia. But I think it also happens when the Lyme infects the brain and in fact, you know, there's something called neurological Lyme, but it's a feeling of being completely disconnected from the body. I also think that there's a emotional aspect to that, that over time, the sicker you get, you literally, it's a protective aspect. You have to disengage and feel disengaged from your body in order to even survive when you're in constant pain. So how do we get back to ourselves? How do we get back to feeling whole again? That's a really fucking good question. It's really hard. And you know, it, it takes time. And I think what it helps is when you do something that works, that you start to really have true gains, that you're able to then have faith and true hope that you're getting there. And it's not just a Sisyphean task that two steps forward, one step back, or one step forward, two steps back, you know, like you just get out of that roller coastering and you start just to climb. And that is our goal is to be as prescriptive and step-by-step as possible so that there's not these like big, like, Oh, shoot some crystals up your ass and put this bandaid on. And you're going to feel great. in after a weekend retreat, no, it's about really putting the, the hard, hard work in, being educated on trauma, being educated on how this isn't your fault, and also allowing people to you know, accept their bodies again and love their bodies as you know, a tool to get better, not as something that's making them further just delve into deeper unhappiness, if that makes sense. Totally. Okay. So if someone comes to you and mm-hmm. they're like, Brooke, I have literally tried everything. I've seen every doctor. Nothing is working. I'm exhausted. I am running out of money. Why is this going to be the thing that works for me? What do you say to those people who feel just so distraught and just like at their wits end with this process? Well, first of all, that's usually everyone I ever speak to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, it's very rare that someone like, you know, Holly Owens, a wealthy belly. She, she came to me when she first got diagnosed and not really had descended into the daily quotidian hell, which is, you know, chronic Lyme. So very, very you know, rare cases do people come to me before they've gone down that, you know, rabbit hole. But most people come to me literally at their wit's end. Um, as we just talked about, bee venom is a little bit out there for most people in the beginning. And most people are also really encouraged by their doctors not to not to pursue it. So why would they start with us? They won't. So they usually come to us when they're at their wit's end. Um, and what do I say to them? I say, I'm not here to convince you. 
I'm here to present the research and I'm here to take the, the guesswork out of healing and let me take that burden on as long as you stay accountable. And in most cases it works, but you know, it doesn't work in all cases. I can't tell you how many clients I've had that literally were not accountable for the first six months. And then we get a phone call. They take the class again. They have to do it a second time. Um, because they're just not ready. And there's so much that goes into being ready and wanting to be accountable. And, you know, none of it is our fault. It can be their situation at the time. It can be just having to work through a lot of the trauma that made them not feel like they could empower themselves. You know, we're asking you to not only take your healing into your own hands, but to also believe in yourself. And that is a really tough prospect for some people. (laughs) Yeah, You know, it was for me. I get Mm -hmm. it. Um, so I think, you know, there isn't a easy answer. It's just, we present the research, we present our, you know, we're really, really open about our testimonials. You can just look on theheelhive.com. You can go to our Instagram and you can find client after client saying, I went through, I spent 10 years with doctors. I spent five years. I spent the last two years. I'm out of money. I was out of hope. I was at the verge of suicide. I was on, you know, 15 different prescriptions, yada, yada, yada. Six months later, I'm off them all. 12 months, 12, you know, a year later, I literally feel like I'm back to where I was prior to take flight. Like you have to listen to those, but those remember everyone listening are people who have stayed accountable and have actually done the hard work. Those that haven't done the hard work, they're not done that testimonials, of course, because it takes hard work. As you know, to heal, healing's not easy. As, as much of time that it went into making you sick, making you, you know, not thrive, it's going to take nearly as much time to get out of that to fully have the benefit. So if you've been sick for two years, expect it to take yourself two years. If you've been sick for five years, expect it to be five years. And I'm not talking about physical illness. I'm just talking about the whole trauma, the whole like to get yourself to a place of truly feeling light again, feeling that freedom in life. So good. So, so good. Thank you for talking about that because I don't think enough people address that where you're dealing with someone who is there at the, they feel like they're at the end of the road and they're like, I don't know that I can try one more thing. Um, I know that you're going through IVF right now and mm-hmm. it has been a frustrating process for you. So can you give us a glimpse into why you're doing IVF and what that process has looked like? Well, um, yes. So I am doing IVF because I am 42 years old. And uh, I have diminished ovarian reserve, which basically means that although I have, I have a fully functioning ovaries, fully functioning um, system, no fibroids, no cysts, anything like that to get in the way. Um, my husband has, you know, good sperm motility, um, healthy sperm, um, and I've been successful with the IVF in terms of being able to have a chromosomal um, embryo that is, you know, healthy and should have every chance for success. Um, IVF is a really hard process. And what happened to me is that, you know, I got sick when I was 35, 36 years old. So my window of opportunity to have a child became really, really small really quickly because those years in my late thirties, I was dealing with being so sick. I was in a wheelchair, unable to even talk some days. So no way was I going to be able to start family planning then. And then right as I basically went into full remission and now, as we know, cause I've been Lyme free for four years, full eradication. Um, my mother got sick with cancer. Um, so when I had Lyme disease, 
I also, one of my first symptoms was reoccurring melanomas. I lost half my calf to my first melanoma. And then I had three more melanomas after that. And then I had one in C2, which is not considered a full melanoma, but about to be a melanoma. Um, Now I know that my body was just so wrecked and my immune system was so wrecked from Lyme disease that that's what caused the melanomas to come about. But clearly I have familial proclivity for melanoma in my family. And so my mother came down with terminal melanoma. I felt this loss um, that I had already gone through it and that I couldn't save her and I didn't catch it in time. I blame myself. And um, then I had to live through all the trauma of going back into a medical system that's really broken. And when it comes to terminal cancer, the medical system is really, really broken. And so I had to deal with that. And I also knew that I had a very limited time with her. And that sickness had stolen years of a lot of the time I could have spent with her. Um, you know, when I was sick, I wasn't a daughter and she couldn't be the mom she wanted to be. So I dropped everything and I became her full-time caregiver and uh, her hospice nurse um, for the last three months of her life and took care of her 24-7. And it took a lot to get out of that. Um, and then when I finally felt emotionally ready to start family planning... Um, I went to an OBGYN who said, oh, you have seven follicles. You have a good, good enough AMH count. No problem. I was 40 at the time. I should have gone directly to a um, fertility endocrinologist, um, not an OBGYN. And that is my best piece of advice for anyone here. Do not trust an OBGYN for fertility. Trust a fertility specialist for fertility. And so I wasted another year trying to get pregnant naturally. And then at 41, I finally was like, well, this isn't working. Went to go have a few consults with fertility endocrinologists that looked at my numbers, which had plummeted, which happens between like 39 and 41. And they said, you have no choice. It's IVF or bust. And um, it's not easy. I'm running a company. Um, My biggest struggle the last year and a half has been how to balance trying to build a beautiful baby inside my body. I also, you know carrying the weight and the burden of hundreds upon hundreds of people's sickness, which I feel just as passionate. I feel like they're not my children, but I feel just a responsibility to them as I do for this unborn child I want to carry. And so, you know, I, I, every day I deal with a work balance situation, um, but it takes time and IVF takes a long time, you know, and I had friends that went through it and they said, no matter what you think is your trajectory, when, no matter what your timeline is, add a year to it, add two years to it. It just, it takes time. And it does. And that's what I've gone through. So, you know, there's been some medical errors. There's been some moments of cancellation because of the pandemic. You know, I couldn't go forward for three months, which was devastating when the IVF clinics were closed. And there was just then, you know, I also was getting married in the midst of it. So life just happened and got in the way. Um, so now I am 42 and, you know, putting an embryo in hopefully next month. Um, I just had an IVF cycle canceled because I ovulated through my transplant meds, um, which can happen. And now I have to change my meds, you know, to a different um, protocol. And it's just, you know, you really have to steal yourself. And, you know, I like to think that dealing with chronic Lyme disease prepared me for dealing with IVF trauma, but it really doesn't. It just basically reminds you that you're always going to face medical traumas. You know, we all die. And at the end of the day, you know, this is just life and you have to empower yourself and find the right tools. And I cannot tell you 
the research that I've had to put into IVF is the same research I had to be, I had to put into, um, you know, my Lyme disease and, you know, healing from that is that do not just expect a doctor to do it all for you. And it doesn't matter if the doctor has great reviews. It doesn't matter if the doctor is beloved by patients is that you still have to take control and you have to hold the doctor accountable and you you know, you really have to be the driving force with your IVF process. And it's not easy. And for any woman going through it, I don't show and share it as much because I don't want to be such a Debbie Downer, but the amount of tears that go into IVF for any woman is just intense. And so I feel for all of you. Yes, I feel that. And I asked because we are going to be doing IVF probably starting next year. And it is, um, it is scary for sure. And I'm looking forward to um, looking over your notes and stealing your notebook one day. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and having you give Absolutely. me a tutorial. <laughs> I have a feeling well, I'm going to need you. One of my best friends had a baby at 46 with her own egg. And wow. every doctor said no. And she just said, I'm going to find the doctor that will do it. And she just literally, she's a Buddhist. And she chanted two, three hours a day. And at 46, well, at 47, she gave birth to the biggest, cutest, redheaded butterball and he's healthy and they are so happy. And she's a 47 year old mother of a one-year-old who is, you know, a handful and so cute. And I just want every woman to know that, you know, never give up. And I say this for chronic Lyme, never, ever give up. If you want to make it happen, it's going to happen. It's not going to be easy and it's going to take a hell of a lot of work, but you can do it and you can always do it. I love that. I adore the hell out of you. You are so fucking brilliant and gorgeous and amazing and inspiring Aww, and all the things. Darling. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for just being so transparent and raw and just the way you show up and the way you love on people. You are you are already mothering so many people through their journeys. And I mean, I feel that by just watching what you do and I don't even have Lyme. I feel so touched by everything you share and the way you advocate for people who don't feel like they have voices. So Thank you. Thank you for being here. I just love you. Well, thank, well, I have to thank you because I think that so few women are will, really willing to talk about, you know, the deep dive into sexuality and all the things that we think about on a daily basis, but never talk about. And I have to say that I, you're making me feel that I have a lot of work to do in terms of opening myself up and being just more even aware of how I communicate with my body and what I don't talk about. So, um, thank you. I, it's a, it's a mutual appreciation society today because I, you know, adore the hell out of you too. <laughs> oh, that makes me feel so good. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, till next time, sister. Ah, oh, I had such a great time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful that you got to hear from Brooke. She is incredible. I know after listening to her, you are nodding your head and saying, yes, Kelly, she really is. Uh, before we wrap this up, just a little shout out to our friends over at Mile High Mess. Uh, Shelby and Katie are friends of ours who live here in Denver, and they have the funniest fucking podcast. They truly are hot messes. What a shit show they are. And they talk about it on the pod. Their interactions with men when they both like women. Uh, I think they had an episode called One of Them Kissed a Guy. And she didn't like it. Like, this is the kind of shit they talk about. They're all night partying, hangover issues, um, all the dumb shit they get themselves into. By the way, they're former lovers. 
who then broke up and had a podcast the entire time. And it has just been like a whole thing. So if you are in for some entertainment and comedy and all things ridiculous, definitely check out Mile High Mess. The link to their show is in the show notes. I cannot recommend these girls enough. Thank you all so much for listening to The Kelly Show. If you haven't yet subscribed, be sure to do so now and head to ratethispodcast.com slash Kelly to leave a five-star review. And as a bonus for doing that, if you send me a screenshot of your review before you submit, I will get you a little thank you gift in the mail. All right, we have another juicy episode coming for you next week, so stay tuned. And as always, if I can support you in any way, please reach out. Remember, I'm just a DM or an email away. See you guys soon.